In a uh, book entitled Seasons of Marriage, uh, the author captures the uh, core central reason so many lose hope after the wedding day. He says one of the most difficult and complex trans- transitions in life is marriage. He says as most couples move toward marriage, their sense of reality is distorted by wishfulness and fantasy. Says that, and uh, this intense romantic illusion can neutralize the positive development of the marriage. It says unrealistic expectations and fantasies create a gulf between the partners and cause disappointments. It says people can create such detailed fantasies that neither their partner nor the relationship has any chance for survival. The first task of any marriage is to define what a wife is and what a husband is. In other words, what should I as a husband realistically expect of my wife? Or what should my wife realistically expect of me as a husband? A few years ago, um, I was leading a Bible study for college-age students, and uh, one of the gals w- that was in there asked her the question. I said, you know, what kind of, uh, what kind of man do you want to marry? And she said, you know, I'd really like to marry someone who could tell jokes, has a good sense of humor, likes to sing, likes to dance, and will stay home with me in the evenings. And I looked at her, and I smiled <laughs> just like that and said, you know what, you don't want a husband, you want a television set. And, uh, you know, when you think about it, what's realistic? What can we realistically expect? You know, and I, and I think uh, more importantly, I believe what we should expect is no more or no less than what God himself expects. And uh, we find some real good insight into this in 1 Peter chapter 3, and we started to look at it last week. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3 as we look at verses 1 through 7. In this particular passage, God gives insight and a very clear description of what his expectations are as far as the responsibilities of a wife to her husband and also that of a husband to his wife. And in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, we pick up on some traits or characteristics that it would benefit us immensely if we would adopt those same traits and apply them in our relationships with one another. 1 Peter 3, verse 1, we read this. And in the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. It says, And let not your adornment be merely external, the braiding of the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of God. It says, For in this way, in former times, holy women also, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. Thus Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children, if you do what is right, without being frightened by any fear. It says, And you husbands likewise live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker vessel, since she is a woman, and grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. As we go through this section, just as a reminder, it's important to realize that this is in the context of of a section that begins with the idea of submission. We find that we are to submit, in verse 13 of chapter 2, to every institution. And God created marriage as an institution. And within this, not only should we submit to government and laws, Romans 13 tells us, but within the confines of marriage, we find that there's also some submission that needs to take place. And to submit means to voluntarily place yourself under the rank of another for the purpose of pleasing that person. So it's in essence to give up your right or your freedom to rebel and put yourself in subjection or submit to the authority of the one who's in charge. For example, at your job, you'll submit to the authority of a boss. In, in government, we submit to the authority of governing officials. And in marriage, there's a structure and order that also takes place. And God says that every husband should be submissive to the Lord, and every wife should be submissive to her husband, and every child or children should be submissive to their parents. And that's the creative order of God. And there's a lot of confusion, as we'll see as we go through this context, why it's so difficult for some of us to grasp it. But nonetheless, we're talking about the idea of submission or submitting to one who's in authority or a leadership position. Now, I've been offered a tremendous amount of money by several gentlemen here who want me to take my time and review last week as long as I feel led by God and as long as the money trail is. Um, But I couldn't do that. You know, I want to be one who's above reproach. And so I've taken the money from the ladies who said, skip, (laughs) skip the... uh, 
of the review and let's just get right on to what the guys have to know. Because, you know, after all, gals are better at retaining information than guys anyway. So the gals already have retained all this. And amen was coming from the person who's the one who said, here, let me give you a lot of money not to review. <laughs> but, but just as a quick, a very, very quick review. Number one, we learn in verses, three through, uh, verses one through six that a woman is to recognize her husband's position of leadership in her own home. And uh, we learned about submission, that why should we submit? Well, there's several reasons. One is because it's the will of God that we submit. Two is because it's a testimony before non-believers of our, our, um, our respect for what God tells us to do and our willingness to believe Him and respect Him in essence so that we then go through and follow with it in our own actions. So we know that it's the will of God. We know that it's a testimony to the world around us who is in rebellion of authority on a regular basis. We know also it's a sacrifice that's acceptable or pleasing to God when a woman submits to her own husband in her own home. It's an act of sacrifice on a part of a woman saying, God, I believe what you say and this isn't an easy thing to do, but I'm going to do it anyway. And in fact, if you look at verse 6, uh, I didn't bring up, but you know, if you stop and think about this, it says, Thus Abraham obeyed, I mean Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right. Listen to this, without being frightened by any fear. What is one of the greatest fears that a woman has? And that is to submit herself to her husband. And he's saying, you know what? Don't be afraid to do what's right before God because in verse 5 it said these former women, these women of God also put their hope in God. They're not putting their hope and trust in their husband. They're putting their hope and trust in God who tells them to do it and says, step out in faith and trust me on this one and watch what we're going to do together. And so we see that. But there's also a greater purpose here, not a greater one, but another purpose. And it says in verse 1 this, that when a woman submits to her own husband, even if they're disobedient to the word of God, they may be one, that they may be one. That they is a purpose statement in Scripture that says, what's the purpose of me submitting to my husband? So that your husband may be one to the Lord. For a wife who has a non-believing husband, as she submits to his authority in her home, God says she, he'll use that submission as an act of sacrifice to show this man who is callous, who is unrepentant, who has maybe no need or desire for the things of God, to show this man what God's presence in a person's life can do. And he'll draw that person to himself through your act of submission so that they may be one. Who? To the Lord, first of all. And second, ladies, you know and God knows sometimes you end up living with a guy who's disobedient to the things of God. And God says, as you do what's right before God, your husband then will be one to the things of the Lord as well. So there's a tremendous purpose statement in all of these things. So that's the first reason. The second reason is, is that the second thing that we should do is that refrain from certain behaviors, that they observe your chaste behavior. Chaste has to do with physically pure, pure in motives. Uh, that they may be uh, self, that a woman would be self-controlled emotionally, that she would be under control physically as far as what she wears and the things that she says, uh, that she would be kind and others would come first. She would be motivated by meeting the needs of others rather than herself. You know, and this whole women's lib, lib movement and all the stuff that's been going on for 20 or 30 years now is trying to convince women that, you know what, it's time that you put yourself first. Don't put your husband first. Don't put your children first. You have needs. You have wants. You have desires. And it's all part of the same selfish philosophy that most of us you know, hear on a regular basis and at times we're tempted to buy into. And God says, don't buy into that. Be kind. That a woman should be kind. Be kind means to be motivated by putting another person first. Third thing is this, that she would respect her husband. That she would respect him, not embarrass him. Not embarrass him in front of others, not be the one who's trying to call the shots, but in a respectful way. Now, I realize that sometimes, you know, a, a woman has to call the shot. And I'll give you an example of, of, of a time where I think that's possible. There's two, there's two. <laughs> you people are really looking for something here to get me in trouble on, aren't you? Oh, well, hear me out first. Okay, there's, there, there's, there's two young people, they're about age seven. And uh, this boy goes over to this little girl's house, and she's over the, he's over the house, and she says, hey, let's play like we're married. He goes, oh, okay. And so she dresses them all up. They get all dressed up. And then they go out, and they're walking the neighborhood, and they go over to the neighbor's house. They knock on the door, and the, and the neighbor woman answers the door, and she sees her neighbor girl there with this, you know, this young man. And she says, oh, hi, may I help you? And the little girl says, yes, we're Mr. and Mrs. Jones, and we thought we'd come over to pay you a visit. 
And she goes, oh, come on in. I'd love to have you come in and visit. So she brings this, this young couple in and she offers them, would you like some lemonade? Would you like some cookies? Oh, yes, we'd like some lemonades. That would be very nice, thank you. And so they have this nice little entertaining visit and they're playing up Mr. and Mrs. Jones. And uh, at that point, the, the lady, the hostess says, would you like another glass of lemonade? And uh, the Mrs. Jones says, oh, no, Mr. Mr. Jones and I really need to be running now. And Mr. Jones kind of looked like he wanted another glass of lemonade. And Mrs. Jones said, no, no, you've had enough. Well, you've had enough. And uh, says, no, we, we really need to be going. And so the hostess asked again, well, are you sure, would you, you, sure you wouldn't like another glass of, of lemonade and a cookie? And Mrs. Jones says, no, we really need to be going. And she says, well, why do you have to run so quickly? Well, you see, Mr. Jones, he just wet his pants. <laughs> so sometimes, you know, the woman w wants to protect her husband from, from himself. And, 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 you know, and that's a respectful thing to do. Anyway. Okay, let's get, let's get this over with. Um, and then the last thing that we saw is that, you know, part of submission is that a woman must resist the temptation uh, to be a nag. Okay. <laughs> Which leads us, well, you know, that quiet spirit, um, gentle spirit. All right, develop that inner quality. Which all leads us now to verse 7. Okay, and this is our responsibility as husbands to our wives. Now, anyone, how many guys out here are married? Raise your hand. I'm just talking to you for a minute. Anyone who's been married for any length of time, guys, just say amen if what I'm saying is true and risk whatever's going to happen to you. <laughs> because if you want to take a leadership position in your family, you have to take risks sometimes. Now, anyone who has been married for any length of time, at some point in their life, find themselves scratching their head in bewilderment and wondering, what in the world does my wife really want? Amen? Amen. <laughs> Preach it, brother. And I wish I had something I could tell you that would be beneficial. <laughs> but what, what does she want? What does she want? What did she just say? And, and what does she really need? I mean, it's kind of like... Uh, I like a one, here's one man's theory addressing an, a woman's needs. He says, in her infancy, she needed love and care. In her childhood, she wants fun. In her 20s, she needs romance. And in her 30s, she needs admiration. In her 40s, she needs sympathy. <laughs> and, uh, oh, quite a, quite a few in the 40s out here, huh? <laughs> and uh, in, in, her, in, in her 50s, she just wants cash. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's an interesting theory. <laughs> I don't know how accurate it is, but it's always fun listening to others express themselves when it comes to their opinions of what their wife really needs. Well, the good news for all of us as husbands is that God offers some hope. <laughs> Since uh, he's the author of marriage and family, he knows exactly good news. He knows exactly what my wife needs. He knows exactly what your wife needs. And uh, he knows exactly what your wife needs of you as her husband, which leads us verse 7. And we read, You husbands, likewise, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker vessel since she is a woman, and grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers would not be hindered. Men, what we're about to learn um, is not optional on our part, any more than it was optional for a woman to listen to the counsel of God. What we're about to learn is basically a command from God. And the key to understanding this is the very first verse where it says, You husbands likewise. Likewise what? Well, what he's talking about is this whole context or this whole section that ends up uh, concluding actually uh, in verse 12 of chapter 3, which we'll do next time that we're together. But this whole section has to do with the idea of submission. And what he's saying is, You husbands likewise. Likewise what? Likewise as citizens, citizens should obey the government in the ways that that should be done. Likewise in uh, how an employee should obey his employer in the way that that should be done. And likewise to some degree the same way that a, a wife um, should submit to her husband. What we have here is God saying, you husbands likewise are in the same manner. You should submit to the authority of God. And the authority of God at this point is saying this, and God is our commanding officer who's saying to each one of us that our husbands are husbands to be. He's saying, this is a command from your commanding officer. 
And I want you to apply these principles that will make you the kind of husband that you should be to your wife. And as he goes down and rattles this list off, as we'll see it, as it's as if every man in here who is a husband or husband-to-be that wants to be obedient and submit himself to the will of God because it's the right thing to do, because it's an acceptable sacrifice before God, because it's a testimony of the world around us, what he's saying is, Chuck, I want you to obey these commandments, and my response to him if I'm going to be obedient is, yes, sir. Not why, not for how long, not what if I don't feel like it, that's not an option. Yes, sir. I'll do what you say. And uh, each of us should recognize that that's exactly what God expects of us. So as we look at this and you're challenged to consider what he has to say, I would challenge you as men just to say, yes, sir, and uh, to put it into action. Number one, the first principle is this. If we're to be the kind of husbands that God expects us to be, we're to strive to understand our wives. Strive to understand. First Peter 3, 7 Husbands, in the same way, be considerate, the New International Version says, and as we go through this particular section, there's basically two thoughts in this verse that are the foundation for our responsibility as husbands to our wives. The first thought is this, that we should live with our wives in an understanding way, the New American Standard Bible says. In the New International Version, we see the words that we are to be considerate. Be is a command. Be considerate of your wife. Live with your wife in an understanding way. That's command number one. Literally, he says, according to the knowledge. According to knowledge. The second thing is that we are to respect her. Treat them with respect. Or, the New American says, that we are to grant her honor. So those are the two thoughts that everything that we'll talk about basically flow, flow from. We are to be considerate, to live with her in an understanding way, and we are to respect her or to grant her honor. And as we look at this, we'll see that, you know what? The reason I say strive is because this will not be an easy assignment. This is not an easy assignment. I say because uh, being considerate or living with her in an understanding way is going to take a great amount of effort. And uh, anyone who has tried it knows what I'm talking about. Why is this so tough? Because men and women lack understanding about the general differences between men and women. That's why it's hard. Men, we think everything through a man's point of view. Women think everything through a woman's point of view, and that's the way it's supposed to be. The striving is to try to understand how that other person sees things from their vantage point. To try to understand how my wife thinks. To try to understand what makes her tick. To try to understand what she gets excited about and what she doesn't get excited about. To under, try to understand from her perspective, her vantage point, what's going on. One man says, I would venture to say that most marital difficulties center around one fact. Men and women are totally different. The differences, emotional, mental, physical, are so extreme that without a concentrated effort, without striving to understand them, it's nearly impossible to have a happy marriage. So as a famous psychiatrist once said, after 30 years of studying women, I ask myself, what is it that they really want? Now, if that's his conclusion, after 30 years of in-depth study, I'll guarantee you that, you know what, we're in good company. And uh, if we're to have hope beyond the wedding day, we must never forget the words of Jesus himself. In Matthew 19:4. he says this, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning created them male and female? There's some comfort in that. We're different, designed by God to be different. And as we go through this, we're different and uh, not just in the most obvious ways. Now, I was sent a fax from an anonymous source that I think will help you identify some of the frustrations that men have in trying to understand women. The article is entitled, The Top 25 Reasons Why Dogs Are Better Than Women. I just want to share something with you. So be gentle. The top 25 reasons why dogs are better than women. Now, I guarantee you the men will think this a little more funny than the women. <laughs> and the reason for it is that I think that we can identify to some degree with what I'm about to read. Let me just read it to you quickly and then I'll move on. Number one, why dogs are better than women? Dogs don't cry. Number two, dogs love it when your friends come over unannounced. Huh. 
Oh, I thought, you know, I, th- I thought I was stepping out in some risky territory, but I see that even, even there's some women here with a good sense of humor. Um, and number three, dogs don't care if you use their shampoo. <laughs> number four, number four, dogs think you sing great. <laughs> number five, a dog's time in the bathroom is confined to a quick drink. <laughs> number six, dogs don't expect you to call when you're running late. In fact, number seven goes on to say the later you are, the more excited dogs are to see you. <laughs> number eight, dogs don't notice if you call them by another dog's name. <laughs> number nine, anyone can get a good looking dog. Number ten, if a dog is... <laughs> well, that's, that's a guy, that has to do with us now. Uh, Number 10, if a dog is gorgeous, other dogs don't hate it. Number 11, dogs don't shop. Number 12, dogs like it when you leave a lot of things on the floor. Number number 13, a dog's disposition stays the same all month long. I'm reading them. I didn't write them. But I'm not saying I don't agree with them. Number 14, dogs never need to examine the relationship. Number 15, a dog's parents never visit. (laughs) Kind of like that. Number 16, dogs dogs understand that instincts are better than asking for directions. I'm going to try this one. Number 17, when a dog gets old and starts to snap at you incessantly, you can have her put to sleep. Okay. Number 18, dogs don't hate their bodies. Number 19, no dog ever bought a Kenny G, Cher, or Barbara Streisand album. Number 20, no dog ever put on 100 pounds after reaching adulthood. <clears throat> Number 21, dogs never criticize. Number 22, it's legal to keep a dog chained up at your house. <laughs> All right, number 23, dogs would rather have you buy them a hamburger dinner than a lobster one. Number 24, dogs have no use for flowers, cards, or jewelry. And 25, dogs seldom outlive you. Now, see, now why, why were those things marginally funny? <laughs> Hey, and guys, listen, if we ever have like a men's retreat, I got some other stuff here. That's really, that's really funny. Uh, That's why I picked the top 25 of these 40, I'm telling you right now. There's some really funny stuff here. Uh, Anyway, back on a more serious note. um, Why are these funny? Because they express they're not funny. Yeah, they are, see? God bless you, sir. (laughs) Because they express the frustrations of trying to understand how that other person thinks. And, uh, you know, how do you learn to understand that? Well, God says, well, here's a a clue. 1 John 3, 16 through 18, this is how we know that what love is. If husbands are commanded to love their wives as Christ loved the church, then it's really important for us to know what love really is. He says, and this is what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and that we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and see his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? And you say, well, what does that have to do with me as a husband? Well, simply this, it has to do with the fact that we need to become students of our wives. You know, it says that if anyone ha- sees his brother, sees, observes, considers his brother in need, sees that need and does nothing about it, then how can we say the love of God dwells in us? So as we observe the needs of others, and of course the needs of others would include our wife and our children and and friends and people around us, but what God is saying is we need to consider or be more observant of the needs of others. The word consider in the book of Hebrews is a wonderful word, word that's used of Jesus. Consider Jesus. And the reason we should consider him is to take into calculation. It's an accounting term that means to calculate, to sit down and examine all the evidence for the purposes of coming to a conclusion. Anyone who's a controller of a company or involved in in the financial end of a business, a chief financial officer, what they do is they look at all the, the financial facts 
They bring it all to a conclusion and they, for the purpose of giving direction. This is what we need to do. We need to cut in this area. We need to increase in this area. We need to increase our market share over here. We need to drop this product line or get rid of this chain of restaurants that are losing money. We need to make all these decisions because we're considering the evidence and examining it and therefore now we'll take action. And see, what God is saying the same as a husband, you should consider what's going on around you for the purpose of taking action. Talk is cheap. How do we observe what the need of our wife is? Hey, we listen for hints. I know that's not easy because when I'm communicating with a man, don't hint around, just tell me what you want. You want something? Tell me. We need to be somewhere? Tell me what time. Don't hint around. Well, I think you need to set equipment out on the job next week, but I don't know, the roofer may be roofing, and I don't know if the T-bar guys are coming in, and, well, I don't know. You think you should go ahead and do that? Uh, oh, well, just, you know, well, I don't know. When do you need us on your job? See, now, women don't communicate quite like that. They say little subtle things like, you know, we haven't really been out to dinner in a long time together. You know, I wonder if that Phantom of the Opera play I've heard so much about is still playing somewhere. Look at over there. Don't you think, under that tree, that flowers would look really good? You know, my car is making a funny noise. Well, I mean, like, real funny? joke kind of funny or I think I'm going to die in it kind of funny <laughs> you know this those little little hints and we need to pick up on those little hints you know I remember one year my wife flew back with our kids to Florida where her parents live and as she was leaving she said I'm really sorry that you can't come I know that you're really busy this time of year and, and uh, you know and I understand I hate that. <laughs> Why? Because then I had to surprise them and show up. I, I took a chance on the fact that that was a hint that she really wanted me there. <laughs> but when I pulled up in the driveway, I said, oh, look, there's Dad. <laughs> kind of might have misread that one, but hey. <laughs> no, just kidding. I mean, see, that's the kind of stuff we need to observe. We need to look at. We need to, to, to be observant. Here's another thing, guys, that you may want to do. It's a thought. When it comes to observing your wife, you may want to talk to her. <laughs> you might want to. You know, set aside some time just to talk. And ladies, you can yell, you can yell at a baby or something anytime you want. If, if I'm going down the right road, because see, I'm, I'm just kind of feeling my way through this myself. But you can set aside time just to talk. Guys are going, just to talk? Are you kidding? No, I'm afraid not. <laughs> <laughs> they like that. Um, you can read a good book on marriage. Hey, read a book. Put it all together. Read a book on marriage. Whoa, on marriage. Not on your golf swing, not on popular mechanics, not on some hobby, but on marriage. You know, 90% of marriage and family books are bought by women. Of those, 90% are read by women. Seriously, because the other ones are buying that book to give to their husband to read, and that doesn't happen. And uh, so I would just suggest try that. You know, wouldn't that be, I mean, she'd just be like amazed. But, you know, and if you're going to pretend you're reading it, make sure that it's turned the right way so she can walk by and see it. Um, give her, you know, give her your shoulder and not your mouth. Give her your shoulder and not your mouth. You know, when she's going through a tough time, sometimes all she wants is a hug. She doesn't need to explain how, you can, how it can be fixed. Uh, you know, she wants to know that you understand that she's just going through something. And you can hug her and she can feel like, gosh, she understands. And you and I know we don't. <laughs> but that's okay. Well, you know you don't. I know you don't. I know I don't. But I know that she thinks I do. Although now she knows I don't. <laughs> oh, some things you just say for those men's retreats. <laughs> but uh, anyway, that's the whole point. That's what we need to look at. We need to be observant, you know. And she knows, hey, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you understand. I'm glad that you're here for me, uh, that you want to be my protector. Um, you know, uh, what are your wife's deepest concerns? What are her fears? How do you help her work through those things? You know, what does she need from you? Why does she respond the way you do? You know, there, there's, unfortunately, there, there's no handbook for these insights into life. And in fact, most of them come by trial and error. Um, 
I've got a handout for you guys to take home in case you don't want to go run out and buy a marriage book. Um, but I got a handout, and, 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 the, and the, there'll be guys at the back handing them to you, so take, his, take a lot. Um, but the handout is 122 ways to offend your wife. Now, this isn't to give you more ideas. Um, <laughs> trust me in this. This is not to give you any more ideas because God knows you have enough ideas of your own. But this is to help you understand the things that we do as men that offend our wives. And uh, the higher the score, <laughs> that's not good. Okay? <laughs> I just want to tell you right now. Now, I'm thinking, how do I put this in terms you understand? Think of it like a golf game. Okay? <laughs> the less, less strokes you have on the sheet the better you are. And the goal is to lower your handicap as a husband. Okay, am I putting it in terms that some of you guys understand? So as you go through this, what would be fascinating, and, I, and I'm going to risk this myself, but what would be fascinating is to give this to your wife, to have her have a copy of this, to go down through and mark the ways that, you, that she believes you offend her, and then have you separately mark the ways that you think you've been guilty, and then compare and then use it as a basis to communicate with one another, not to argue, okay? Uh, you know, gosh, you know, it, it's, a, it's a shame that so often, you know, we try to work on our relationship together and ends up we just argue about things and it gets worse than it was before. So what we're do, we're afraid to try to deal with those things because every time we go down that road, it's like they say, you don't want to go there. But you know what? You need to go there if you're going to work things out. So the first thing that we need to do is strive to understand our wife. The second thing that we do as we go through this is we need to be sensitive to the physical and emotional differences. You know, as we look at this, it says, Husbands, in the same way, or likewise, be considerate or live with your wives in an understanding way. Treat them with respect as with a weaker vessel or a weaker, weaker partner. Now, what that's saying is that husbands are to be considerate or live in an understanding way, knowing that our wives are a, quote, a weaker vessel. And, and, and instead of it being a negative thing, you need to understand something. It has nothing to do with character. It has nothing to do with intellect. It has nothing to do with moral or spiritual superiority or inferiority. It just simply has the fact that, you know what? God has made women differently than men. And we cannot handle them the same. In fact, one of the uh, reasons that dogs are better than women is because it says here, dogs like it when you play rough. Okay, well, you know what? Women don't. See, and we need to recognize and understand that God has made women differently. We need to respect that. You know, one of the, uh, listen, well, I think one of the worst things that ever happened to women is when the so-called women's movement wanted and pushed an agenda that called for women to be treated on an equal basis with men in every area of life, including the physical realm. I think that's one of the worst disservices that your fellow women did to you. And because of that, and I'll tell you why, what happens is this. When you go into the physical realm and you want to compete on a physical level, what you've done is you've entered into man's territory and, and into the creation of God himself who designed men to be a protector, a provider, and when a woman steps into that territory, what it says is this, now it's time to be my competitor. And if you want to compete with me, then you don't, you're going to see another thing coming. That's just the way men are designed by God. We're, we're, and, and women are not to be our competitors or our competition, but women are designed by God to complement us, not compete with us. That's why, let's face it, ladies, you don't see women in professional sports. And I, you know, and I hear all the stuff about how, oh, we should make access to women in professional sports. Well, do yourselves a big favor. I don't care what, you're the, what the exception is. There's no woman in the world who is going to compete with a professional athlete on any level, period. If you take 100 men, the strongest men, and 100 strongest women, and you made them t to face each other in a tug of war, the men will win every single time. That's all that I'm trying to say by this. And it's important that we recognize and understand that. And it's a great disservice to women to try to compete on a physical basis with men because what it has done is it has made men insensitive to the physical differences between men and women. And God says that we need to live with our wives in an understanding way as with a weaker vessel knowing that there's, she's a, a fragile, beautiful, expensive vase as she's been created by God. And we're to handle her with care. We're to protect her. We're to provide for her. We're to treat her that way and not like one of the guys. The emotional differences. Women tend to be more personal than men. Women have deeper interest in people and feelings and, and building relationships. And we're all, men are all tend to be you know, practically minded. We had a conversation with a couple that we were at dinner last night and, and we were talking about how you know, whether a king-size bed or a queen-size bed would make it easier to decorate the room. 
And I'm thinking, and that was the woman's perspective, and I'm thinking, hey, that bed better be comfortable to sleep in. I don't care how you decorate it, but it sure better serve the other needs that I have envisioned for the bed there in the room. Um, it, you know, and, and, uh, you know, and it's the way it is. Uh, you know, women, you know, my wife takes pictures, and, and she, I, to me, she messes up great scenery with people in them. We, we go on vacations all over the world. It's like, hey, they, hey, there's the Matterhorn. And uh, she goes, hey, well, let's run over and get our picture taken in front of it. No, that'll mess it up. It's the Matterhorn. You know, this isn't a, the, the people horn. This is the Matterhorn. <laughs> you know, get, get out of the You know, it's like, and she got all these pictures of people. And I got all these pictures of places. And that's just the way we are. And we think differently. Emotionally, it's different. And we need to recognize it. You know, that's why men like competitive sports and why women get turned off by it. That's why men like to see boxing matches. And most women, for the most part, don't enjoy that. They don't see it as being conducive to building a close relationship. Um, it just doesn't look that way. It doesn't look like they're getting along right now. Um, and, you know, and that's the way it is. The more guys, the more cuts and bruises and blood that we see and snot and sweat flying. This is a great fight. This is good stuff. And they don't see that. They don't understand that. Um, you know, they're different emotionally. Uh, you know, you go on, and we've all been there. You go on a vacation and, and you go for a drive and we, we want guys to get there. And they want to see stuff on the way. Oh, look, here's this little place. <laughs> what was that, babe? What was that, hon? And, and, and all I'm thinking about is the guy who passed me up. <laughs> right? I don't know where he's going, but I'm going to beat him there. You know, we do a lot of, in the air conditioning business, we're doing a lot of gas station conversions. This is a guy concept, I'm telling you right now. All these service stations that, you know, now there's Taco Bells, Burger Kings, bagel places, everything in there. I mean, that's a guy. That's an invention of a guy. Why? We can get gas, send the kid in to get the tacos. Anybody has to go to the bathroom, take care of that right then. Get in the car. We're going. We're out of here because here comes the guy that just pulled over for gas about 10 minutes ago, and I see him coming up. We're going to beat him. That's the way it is. That's the way guys are. And, and that's just the differences that we look at. You know, my wife, you know, she'd like to go for a walk and I want to run. Can you hurry up? We're, we're going for a walk. I don't walk. That was, my, that was my comment to her. She said, let's go for a walk. I don't walk. I run. I was like, well, can you try to walk? I don't know how to do that. I just don't. That's the way it is. You know, and, 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 you know, those are the kind of things, that's how we think. That's the way that we are. You know, women become a part of their surroundings. Guys, that's why it's so hard for a woman to, to uh, think that your career move to another state or city is such a wonderful thing. Sure, she loves you, she respects you, she, she's happy for you, but you know what? But I got all my friends here. My kids are here, our grandkids are here, my, my family's here, our friends are here, our church is here. I mean, but this is, this is, this is all, 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 the, all my comfort and security is here. And now you're saying... Let's go blaze a path to the west. Get on the wagon. Here we go. You know, and, and it's like, okay, but let's talk about it first. Okay, I respect that. I respect your opinion. I want to hear what your opinion is. I want to hear what you have to say. Let's look at this together. If we're to complement one another and not compete against each other, then it's not a matter of whether I get my way or you get your way. It's whether what we do is the best for all of us. So let's talk it over. We need to understand that and recognize that. You know, and, and as we go through this, we, we learn all of these things. Now, that's the emotional, the physical one. That, that's, you know, gee whiz, what can I say about that? Um, Dr. Paul Popino, founder of the American Institute of Family Relations in Los Angeles, dedicated his most productive years to the research of biological difference between the sexes. He says, woman has greater constitutional vitality, perhaps because of her unique chromosome makeup. Normally, that's why a female outlives a male by four to eight years in the United States. Some, a woman's metabolism is normally lower than a man's. A man and woman differ in skeletal structure. A woman has larger kidneys, liver, stomach, appendix than man, but smaller lungs. Women have several unique and important functions. Menstruation, pregnancy, lactation. Her hormones are a different type and more numerous than men. Now, guys, I don't understand a menstrual cycle. Read about it. Got tested on it. Still don't understand it. And continue to get tested on it. Um, I don't understand hot flashes. Except for maybe the closest I can get is when I tell a joke you don't think it's funny. That maybe, I don't think, but I don't understand PMS. But guys, listen to me. This is all stuff 
definitely worth checking into. I was driving the other day and saw a license plate. It said PMS X4. Now I'm thinking PMS to the fourth power. <laughs> that, that's, that's how I say, that's a guy again, right? So I go home and I tell us, oh, you should see this funny license plate I saw. And I tell my wife and my daughter, and I say, oh, PMS S4, X4. And they said, oh, yeah, PMS to the fourth power. And I'm thinking, man, I, I, I don't know if I want to stick around to see who this lady is. <laughs> but on the other hand, she goes, no, no, you don't get it. That's probably a lady's car. It was a Suburban who has three daughters. Okie dokie. <laughs> and I'm thinking, yep, that, that'd probably be it, you know. And, and, and I, so, I mean, guys, I mean, you know, it's kind of like, you know, it really helps to know. Now, we've, we've had two daughters that have lived in our house. We've, you know, I've got one wife. And uh, that's kind of a good ratio. <laughs> but um, it, it pays to be sensitive to these things. You almost need a wall chart. <laughs> I'm serious. You do. You need a wall chart. And, and, you know, and not only do you have your wife and your daughters, but then you can start putting your friends there, too. I mean, when, when you start picking it up. See, that's part of observing. You know, it's important to know that this is just, you know, I told, I told my wife, I tell her this, and she doesn't really think it's funny, but she does some, sometimes because she still thinks I'm funny even though she doesn't want to admit it. But um, that's what she loves about me, by the way. Um, but, uh, you know, my, my whole thing with PMS is it's like, you know, it's like being married to Dr. Jack, Jackal and I better hide. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like that's the way it is. But we all know. See, guys are sitting there going, I'd love to just say amen to that, brother. <laughs> Uh, but I happen to have the chart right here in front of me. Ain't gonna happen. So, what's the point? These are all important things that we need to take into consideration. You know, men, God made men one way and he made women another way. And on a serious note, never use that physical advantage to try to beat your wife into emotional or physical submission. I was driving down the street and I was thinking about this. And I heard this loud voice. And I thought it was somebody coming beside me with, you know, the radio up loud and it was a, a, a talk station or whatever. And then I, I heard it get louder and louder as the car got closer to me. And I looked out the side window and there was a guy sitting in his car, convertible, and he wasn't more than, I, I, would, I think, six inches from his wife's face. And he was screaming at her as loud as he could. You know, and I thought, this is my carnal side. Uh, this isn't a spiritual, there's no spiritual insight in here at all. But, uh, and I thought, you know what? Because I, I grew up in a house like that, that I saw my stepfather physically, emotionally just beat my mother. And I couldn't wait till I was old enough so I can just take a piece of him. Say, so you want to beat on somebody? Then come and beat on me. You want to scream at somebody, buddy? Then you scream at me. You don't scream at your wife or your girlfriend or whoever she is. You don't scream at her. You scream at me, and then we'll talk about it. See, don't use that physical size. So often we try to make our point by yelling and screaming, and God knows I've been guilty of that in the past, and I'm sorry for ever doing it. And we want to use that physical advantage that we have to somehow or another make her submit to our way of doing things. But let me tell you something. Contentions are like the bars of a castle, and all that they do is they cause her to withdraw from you to isolate herself from you, to set herself apart from you. She doesn't want anything to do with you if that's the way you treat her. And I'll guarantee you, if you use your physical size as an advantage, it really is your disadvantage because you know what? You're not building intimacy in that relationship at all. All you're doing is distancing yourself from her. We cannot use our physical advantage that God has given us for any other reason but to be a protector and a provider for our wife and our children. Number three. Oh, I'm, I'm running out of time. We got a couple more minutes. Number three. See your wife as a spiritual partner. See her as a, a spiritual partner. Treat her as a, as a fellow heir of life. A fellow heir of life. You know what's amazing to me? So oftentimes, you know, we are more sensitive and more respectful of people around us than we are of our own wife or our own husband or our own children. And what God has helped me by taking a look at this, he says, Chuck, you know what? I want you to see your wife, Linda. I want you to see Linda as a spiritual partner. Yes, yeah, she's your wife, 
But you know what? In the bigger scope or, or the greater realm of things, you know, one day when we're all in heaven, she, she's your sister in Christ. And so when you get to heaven, she'll no longer be your wife because there's no giving or taking of marriage in heaven. And every guy says, oh, this is good. That's why it's heaven. <laughs> See, but, that, but that's how guys think. And gals are like, all bummed out. It's like, there's no marriage in heaven. Hey, you know why? Because we're one big, happy family. And what God is trying to duplicate in our families is only a foretaste of what we have to look forward to in heaven. The greatest day in your, in your marriage, the greatest day in your family here on earth will pale in comparison to what it's going to be like in heaven. But the point I want to make is this. She's a fellow heir, of a part, she's a partner in life. She is a sister in the Lord, and I should treat her with that type of respect and that type of dignity. She is not my possession any more than my children are my possession. She is God's possession. They are God's possession, and we treat them with respect and dignity, knowing that it's for a short period of time here on earth. See her as a spiritual partner. Number four, speak well of her before others. Speak well of her. Part of granting honor is speaking well of your wife. Her children arise and they call her blessed. And her husband also, and he praises her. They speak well of her before other people. You know what? Compliment her. And as I'm going through this 122 ways to offend my wife, I realize that number 89 is not complimenting her or defending her in front of others. Every wife will tell you one of the greatest offenses to her is when someone, man, in your family, whether it's your mother or your sister or your brother or your uncle or somebody in your family says something to criticize her in front of you and in front of her and you do nothing to defend her. That is a great offense to her. But God says we're to praise her, to build her up, to praise her with our lips, to tell her, hey, you're doing a great job, to tell her, honey, you know what? You're, I, I, I couldn't be happier. You're the, I, I'm so glad that God answered my prayers and you're my wife. I'm so glad that you're the kind of mother that you are. I'm so glad you're the kind of wife and partner that you are. And I'm so glad just to have you in my life. And I count every day as a blessing before God. Every woman that I know wants to hear her husband say that. Praise her and speak well of her before others. See her as a great blessing. Proverbs 18:22. He who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. It's something good. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. You know what it says? That two are better than one because they have good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend, his wife, his spouse can pick him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him. Also, if two lie down together, they'll keep warm. And sometimes, you know, too warm, and that's why we got a king bed because, you know, sometimes I get too hot, she gets under the covers, I like to be on top of the covers. So that's the first part of things that are different, and we like to work those things out. But, you know, that's the way it works. You know, the house is always freezing cold, and, and she likes it warm, and, and it's just a, one of those deals, and we're learning to respect those differences. And so, but you know what? But you can't keep warm, and, and, and that's a good thing. Uh, but how can one keep warm alone? Though one may, and, and don't say with a comforter and a, an electric blanket, that's not the context there. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend them. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. The point is this, you know what? Guys, when was the last time you saw your wife as an asset instead of a liability? When was the last time you told her that? When was the last time you talked to somebody that had just gone through a divorce and is alone? When you talk to somebody the last time that they just lost their spouse and they're alone. You know, sometimes to be observant, we need to ask people around us those types of questions. And man, it'll change your whole attitude toward your spouse. And the last one, and, and uh, no more tough than any of these, gentlemen, is that uh, we should seek reconciliation as quickly as possible when differences arise. Husbands, in the same way, be considered as, as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as a weaker partner, as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. Look what it says. What's the purpose of doing that? What's the purpose of being obedient to God? What's the purpose of submitting to His commands? Hey, you know what? So that our relationship as men and leaders of our house will not be hindered before God. The greatest litmus, litmus test of my spiritual life is my relationship with my wife. It really is. If things aren't going well at home, they're not going to go well with anybody else that God puts in my path. And, and, and you know what? And here, here's how this comes out in a very practical sense. I want you to listen. How many of you guys have ever got to the point where you said, you know what? I'm sick of being the one who always has to initiate trying to reconcile. I'm sick of being the one who has to say, I'm sorry, when I know that I'm not. I'm sick of being the one who says that, you know, I was wrong, will you forgive me? When, you know what? I'd rather just hunker down and, and hold out. So oftentimes in life, you know, we think that, you know what, I'm not going to do that anymore. But the problem is this. Until I am humble enough to go to my wife and say, I'm sorry for something I've done wrong, 
or even if it's something I don't even think I did wrong, but she read it wrong and she took it wrong and she's hurt by it. You know what? Matthew 18 says if somebody has an offense against you and you hear about it, hey, you lay your sacrifice down on the altar, you go quickly and you try to reconcile, you try to change that person's mind, you try to explain to them what you were really trying to say and I'm sorry that you took it out of context and then you say, hey, will you forgive me? We need to be kind and tender-hearted, forgiving one another just as God in Christ has forgiven us. We need to go as quickly as we can and reconcile those differences. Now, how do you put all this together? Two weeks of, of intense stuff. But here's the, way, here's the way I want you to think about this. God wants women to recognize their hus- her husband's position of leadership in the home. God wants a wife who will refrain from certain activities. God wants a wife who will respect her husband. God wants a wife who will resist the temptation to nag him into trying to change. Now, if you want to make that easy for your wife to be obedient to the counsel of God as a husband, then what you need to do is you need to strive to understand your wife and live with her in an understanding way. You need to be sensitive to the physical and emotional differences. You need to see her as a spiritual partner, to speak well of her before others and to her, to see her as a great blessing and to seek reconciliation whenever there's something differing uh, that has caused a, a drift between you. And see, here's the way this works. If I'm the kind of husband that God commands me to be, then my wife will respond and be the kind of wife that God demands her to be. But here's the problem, isn't it? Who's going first? (laughs) Who's going to blink? Who's going to take the first step? Can I just challenge all of you to take the first step? I'm not going to wait for my wife to be the wife that she should be because that has nothing to do with the orders that I've been given by God. Yes, sir. And I would encourage you as wives not to wait till your husband is likable, lovable, and cute. That may never happen. But he will get that way if you do what's right before God. Can I challenge you to consider it? No one can make anybody do anything. But I do know this, that anyone who has a sensitive heart toward God knows that what the Word of God is saying today is true because the Spirit of God is affirming it in your heart and He's tugging on you saying, why don't you give it a chance? Step out, don't be afraid, and trust God and put your hope in Him and then you'll discover that there's hope beyond the wedding day. God, we just thank You for this time to be together and we just praise You for the truth of Your Word and for the life changes that we see among the folks around us, including ourselves. God, we just praise you. You're an awesome God who wants what's best for us. As we draw closer to you, we'll draw closer to one another. And we praise you in Christ's name. Amen.